Dear listeners, welcome back. It's Chiara Thea here and welcome to the British Whisperer, the place to be to know which stories are making the headlines and learn the English you need. On the podcast website, thebritishwhisperer.com, you can find the link to the podcast webpage with full transcript of each episode and its translation in Italian. In this new episode, I'm going to focus first on Scotland and precisely on the aftermath that follows the stepping down of Nicola Sturgeon, Scotland Prime Minister, who left last Wednesday, February 15. Next, I'm going to talk about stress and what to do to avoid it. And last but not least, on the quarrel about Taste Atlas' list of the world best-rated cheeses that was dominated by nonetheless than Italy, with no French or British cheeses among the world's top 10 list. Curious to know more? Just be sure to listen until the end of the episode. High in the misty highlands, out in the purple island, brave are the hearts that beat. High may your proud standards gloriously wave, land of my high endeavour, land of the shining rivers, land of my heart forever, Scotland the brave. Dear listeners, this is Scotland the brave. The Scottish patriotic song, one of the three often considered an official Scottish national anthem and probably very famous all over the world. The song originated in the late 19th century and its lyrics, commonly used now, were written about 1950 by Scottish journalist Cliff Hanley for singer Robert Wilson. This song has been, you know, just used many times, even if the official national anthem is certainly God Save the Queen, as Scotland is still part of England. But as you know, there are winds of independence running in Scotland for a long time now. Nicola Sturgeon a fiery campaigner for Scotland independence, who led its government for more than eight years as resigned as Scotland First Minister last Wednesday, declaring that she was exhausted and had become too polarising a figure to lead the country. She will retain the post until the Scottish National Party, which controls the Parliament, chooses a successor, most likely next month. A skilled veteran of the UK system of power, sharing a sure-handed leader during the coronavirus pandemic, she outlasted four British Prime Ministers while beviling them uh, with her unyielding push for Scottish independence. That goal appears no closer than it was nearly a day ago, though, when voters rejected a proposal for independence. So dominant is Sturgeon's position that political analysts said there was no obvious successor, an acute problem for a party that faces a crossroad on independence, with the British government remaining implacably opposed to another referendum, but a weakness that she said was another reason for her to step away. Is carrying on right for me, Sturgeon said. And more importantly, is me carrying on the right for my country, my party, and for the independence cause I have devoted my life to. I've reached the difficult conclusion that it's not. In an emotional speech that referenced the heavy personal toll of a life in politics, Nicola Sturgeon announced that she has resigned. 
Giving absolutely everything of yourself to this job is the only way to do it. The country deserves nothing less, she said in a resignation announcement. But in truth, that can only be done by anyone for so long. For me, it is now in danger of becoming too long. Her remarks immediately drew comparisons to those offered a week ago when New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern resigned, saying she didn't have the full tank plus a bit in reserve that leaders needed. Politicians are human, Ardern said. We give all that we can for as long as we can and then it's time. And for me, it's time. Scottish First Minister resignations such as Norse may be shifting for female leaders. Female leaders are still relative a rarity, but the comparison between the two resignations were about more than just shared gender. Notably, when Anden stepped down, almost no one mentioned Lee Strauss, who had resigned as Britain's Prime Minister after a disastrously short tenure just a few months earlier. Both Sturgeon and Arden stepped down following political setbacks, but no scandals, putting them in sharp contrast to leaders like Boris Johnson, who held on to power through multiple scandals before being forced out by a revolt within his own party. And while in office, but women projected caring and protective political personas, especially during the COVID pandemic, though Sturgeon was often spikier in her dealings with the government in Westminster. The resignation hint at a shift in the traits perceived as powerful and desirable in leaders that could have far-reaching consequences for governments, as well as for women's ability to win political power. Sturgeon's departure also set the stage for the SNP, her party, first real leadership contest in nearly 20 years. Who are the frontrunners? Kate Forbes, the finance secretary, is the early frontrunner to succeed by the first minister, Paul says. She's preparing to return from maternity leave and is apparently refreshed and ready for the challenges ahead. Another possible challenge is John Sweeney, the deputy first minister, who is the most experienced in the potential candidates. But none of Sturgeon's putative replacements, Angus Robertson or Humsa Yousaf or Kate Brown, argues the Times of London, possesses a departing First Minister combination of class and cloud. There is a palpable sense of one era fading before its replacement is ready to arrive. Their achievements are as much psychological as they were policy-driven. What does this mean for independence? Independence was one deemed unthinkable. It is now a routine, a commonplace desire among Scottish people. I firmly believe that my successor, whoever he or she may be, will lead Scotland to independence, said Sturgeon. Polling suggests as many as two-thirds of voters under 40 support independence. For many nationalists, independence has become a matter of historical inevitability. However, a senior government source that the case for independence is massively weaker, citing Sturgeon's personal popularity as a reason for the movement's success. Earlier this month, you go polling showed the support for independence has fallen from 53% to 47% among those expressing a view. That is in part a consequence of the structural advantages afforded to the SNP by devolution and the pervasive sense of the United Kingdom is failing to offer the security and opportunity that was once taken for granted. But for Scotland to succeed, in this analysis, Britain must first fail. Devolution, 
all the settled will of the Scottish people, in the words of the late John Smith, means a political career of substance may be made outside London, but devolution has necessarily made Scotland a semi-detached part of the United Kingdom. The ties which bind the realm are looser than was the case half a century ago. Brexit, while significantly complicating the practical delivery and meaning of independence, has nevertheless re-emphasized the gulf in political consciousness which has opened up between Scotland and England. The politics of them, Westminster and us, Scotland, now informs the political terms of engagement in Scotland. The days when the independence referendum was merely an argument between two competing visions of Scotland seem both quainter than today's arguments and a long time ago. Sturgeon was a polarizer-in-chief and she welcomed being so. For her supporters, however, accomplishment mattered less than feelings. Sturgeon projecting an idea of Scotland many voters found attractive, even flattering. She opposed everything the Conservative government in London stood for, defining herself and her country against a great ardour to the South. In these, she poses the will of the Scottish people made flesh. Was for many, one of us. For many, perhaps, but not for all. Just as unionism is too weak to vanquish Scottish nationalism, so nationalism still lacks the strength to rout unionism. Sturgeon's legacy is a country sharply divided against itself and the politics in which constitutional arguments crowds out all other subjects. So, what will happen now in Scotland? We'll see, dear listeners. But, with all my heart, I hope that Scotland remains the brave. this week been a stressful one? Be it work pressures, family drama or your new washing machine floating in the kitchen two days after being delivered? <laughs> yeah, so we all have stressed, experienced every day in our lives. So do you have a calming self-care routine to help wipe away the tension of the day and create an opportunity to press pause? Well, for me, a beauty regime is a quieting moment come evening, signaling it's time to stop scrolling, searching and striving to solve. But the real problems seem to be happening in the morning. Are you an early bird or an early riser? I'm not but. Uh, I have to wake up around 7 or 7.30 at the latest since my dogs need to go out and I need time for my morning routine. Waking up is hard, which is why so many of all fall victim of this news button. Expert agrees that a few tweaks can break the habit. Light cues you brain to awaken, so consider enlisting a sunrise alarm clock to subtly nudge you awake or smart window blinds which you can program to open at a certain time. A survey of 2000 British adults has revealed, although, that on average, 7.23 a.m. is the most stressful time of the, tw- of the day. 7.23 a.m. is exactly the time when the shouting starts <laughs> and the cortisol, the cortisol, the cortisol sorry, um, levels became to rise. Uh, it's your temper thraving at 7.23 a.m. wonders the times in London. Uh, that's the most stressful time of the year, they say. And what else? Uh, our busy lives and 24-hour-7 culture can make it difficult to maintain healthy sleep habits, with the average Briton squeezing in just 6 hours and 19 minutes sleeps a night. 
However, there is growing evidence that missing out on shutter eye can have a big impact on our health. Expert agrees that the deterioration in looks and memory and now even increasing the risk of cancer and the risk of heart attack can all be mitigated by good sleep. But with sleep needs varying between individuals and changing as we age, how can you tell if you're not getting enough? It's kind of obvious, said Dr. Foster's. If you don't feel you're performing optimally during the day, you need an alarm clock to drive you out of bed. If it takes a long time to wake up, if you're craving caffeine and sugar-rich drinks, if you're over sleeping on free days, all that is indicative you need more sleep. A key way to unmask your true sleep needs to see how long you naturally sleep for when you are on holiday. Dr. Foster says some of the short-term effects of not getting enough sleep include doing stupid and unreflected things, being overly impulsive, less empathetic and more aggressive. In the longer term, there is striking evidence that lack of sleep stores up health trouble for us in the future. From dementia to cancer, missing out on shut eye can have a significant effect on our long-term earth. Thai people tend to have puffy faces and are less attractive, says Dr. Foster. This is because there is greater water retention in tired people who are stressed. The stress axis is key here. We have evidence that stressed people are age faster and therefore you don't get to sleep, we are going to be stressed. Disrupted sleep in the middle years predisposes one to dementia in the latter years, says Dr. Foster. The data is striking. If you don't get the sleep that you need, then you impair the clearance of toxic substances such as beta amyloid, which accumulate in the brain. Those misfolded proteins are believed to be causing dementia and Alzheimer's. In the shorter term, sleep is integral to memory consolidation. Wonderful studies have shown that the night of sleep does help you actually solve the problem, says Dr. Foster. Not getting enough sleep leads to higher levels of cortisol, which suppresses the immune system. This means you are more vulnerable to long-term things like cancer because those rogue cancer cells are getting past the immune system because it's not working effectively. Night shift workers are very vulnerable to cancer. The WHO now classifies night shift working as possible carcinogen. That's really terrible. Studies have also shown that the shorter the sleep duration, the greater the risk of type 2 diabetes and obesity. It could be related to the stress axis because when stressed, we release cortisol and adrenaline that throw glucose into the circulation, says Dr. Foster. Tiredness has also been linked to increased release of the anger hormone from the stomach and reduced release of leptin, which is the satiation hormone. So tired people feel more angry and are likely to consume more, especially high sugar carbohydrates. So... As well as mitigating some of the long-term serious at-risk at Dr. Foster's tests, but we more sleep, we will feel better overall, more alert and able to do what you're asked to do with greater efficiency. People will find their ability to interact with others will be improved. It will impact your world-world view. So, well, if you still are stressed and unhappy, it might be a good idea to engage into a citizen science project. The rise of citizen science has inspired bands of people to count beetles, map ancient trees and test the water quality of our rivers. As well as gathering valuable data, research suggests that projects deliver a second benefit. They boost the well-being of the volunteers. A study found that people who took part in a week-long citizen science project felt significantly happier afterwards than they had before. They were also more likely to feel they were leading a worthwhile world life and be closer to nature. So... Do you feel stressed? Do you feel you need more sleep? You are sleep deprived, dear listeners. Why don't you try to establish a better routine of going to bed, like avoiding scrolling, 
late night your screen and trying to wake up with a gentler wake than the shouting alarm clock well i need to do them myself so i hope that you will do it too And French astronomers are kicking up a stink after not seeing one of the country's famed fromage made into the top 10 of the world best rated cheeses by a global food website. French cheeses, which number in the hundreds, are a source of great national pride. However, they failed to reach the top 10 of the 100 best world cheeses on culinary site Taste Atlas, which promotes local food around the world. Italy wiped the flow with Parmigiano in pole position, followed by Burrata and Crana Padano. Indeed, only two of the top ten were known Italian. Buns, a Polish cheese made from sheep's milk, and Queso Serra de Estrella, a semi-soft cheese made from milk of two types of local sheep in Portugal. The highest placed French cheese was Reblochon in 13th position, with Comte in 14th place. Camembert was just 91. Britain fared far worse without a single UK cheese featuring in the rankings. Top French rolling TV channel BMF TV said the results were a clashing blow for French gastronomy. Some fresh cheesemongers turned up their noses at the rankings with one suspecting it was rigged. The judges must have been Italian, he told them. <laughs> Others conceded that the Italians were better at promoting their cheeses abroad. Bravo, Italiani. The ruling makes sense because parmesan remains one of the most emblematic cheeses and can be found on all tables in France, whereas I'm not sure you would find French cheese on Italian tables. <sighs> so, what is your favourite cheese, dear listeners? Uh, do you agree with the, uh, this chart that puts Italian cheeses at the very top? <laughs> I definitely agree. <laughs> they are the really best. So that's all for today, dear listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and you will learn some new English words for today. As always, on the website, you can find the script in English and its translation in Italian. And if you want to follow the British Whisper, uh, please stay up to date by following me on Instagram. And if you want, please make a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast. And if you can, a donation via PayPal. As always on the website, you will find all the details. Thank you for listening and see you on the next episode. Bye for now. <laughs>